Hello and welcome to Tone Benders, where we talk with the sonic artists behind our favorite films, games, and series. My name is Tim Muirhead, and I will be your host today as I am in Manhattan at the beautiful Sound Lounge Studios, where I get to do this interview in person, which is something we don't normally get to do. So this is really exciting for me. We're going to talk about the new film, Nyad. Now, I don't know if listeners have worked on a lot of projects that take place in water before. I know I have. I didn't enjoy it very much. Water is a really tricky thing to sound edit for and to make sound real because everyone is very familiar with what water has to sound like. We've all gone swimming. We've all been in the waves. We know water inside and out. So it's really hard to fake an audience out. And this film takes place in water a lot. It's about the titular character, Diana Nyad, as she is consumed with being the first person to ever swim unassisted from Cuba to Florida nonstop, which takes about 55 hours-ish. And she is attempting to do all this in her 60s. So the film is very concentrated on her swimming in open ocean. But I'm not sure that this film was actually shot in the open ocean. So I'm assuming that uh, getting this dialogue clean and crisp was a challenge unto itself. The super detailed sound design for the water came together with the two supervising sound editors, Deborah Wallach and Grant Elder. Welcome to Tonebenders, both of you. Thank you for having us. Thank it's a you. pleasure. Yeah. yeah, great to be here. Well, I was lucky enough to see Nyad uh, on the big screen at uh, the Toronto International Film Festival. The audience ate this film up. There's certain points in the film where kind of amazing things happen. The crowd cheered in all the right spots, and everyone was really into it. We were also lucky enough to have one of the film's directors, Elizabeth Vassarelli. Uh, She was at the screening, and she talked a lot about uh, how this was her first narrative film and that she had to really do some mental gymnastics in terms of directing uh, actors instead of just capturing what people were doing. I was wondering if you could talk about how she approached the sound. Like, Jimmy is someone who always works on the edge of everything, and he's more the visual person. But everything in terms of how that's done, he's quite involved with. Uh, Chai is more the emotional aspect of it all, the storytelling of it, the rightness of it. And how things played was very important. So they brought their documentary work, which is always their, their films are pretty amazing. Yeah, quickly, just I'm going to interrupt here for some context. Nyad was directed by two people, Jimmy Chin and Elizabeth Chai Vassarelli. Their previous films, like Free Solo and The Rescue, have been documentaries known for following people, pushing what humans are capable of kind of to the extremes. So the content of Nyad, although this is not a documentary, is still very much in their wheelhouse. Yeah, I will say this, though, that both Chai and Jimmy, because they have such a depth of knowledge of these sorts of activities, um, especially like scuba diving and these extreme water sports, she had a lot of really cool creative input on elements I wouldn't have thought of, or maybe Deb either, that, you know, she wanted to create uh, just to, you know, add some really cool, interesting textures to Diana's underwater headspace. Chai is a diver. Okay. What did she suggest that you wouldn't have thought of before? You know, what you hear when you're underwater, when you're diving, like she describes the crinkly sound. I believe that's coral. And also she wanted to push the limits sonically. Because the film is in Diana's head, mostly, it took a long time. We had the advantage of many temp mixes. Um, And, of course, how the film looked changed dramatically throughout our time on it. It was over almost a year. Mm even though we had a you know big hiatus in the middle, but uh, because of the visual effects. We didn't always know what it was going to look like. And this was shot in a tub. 
So you saw the film, you you don't know that. <laughs> no, you definitely don't know that. It's interesting because when I was watching it, it never occurred to me that it would be a visual effects heavy film. Uh, it's not. Either, I don't that think kind they realized thing. it. They didn't Neither realize did it we. either, yeah. and nobody really <laughs> understood that. You know. So the uh, visual effects were adding waves and such to the tub. Oh, like, much more. I, I think there are over a thousand more shots. Yeah. I think they said something like twelve hundred or. 1, Every water shot yeah. has been touched. But in terms of the sound job, I'm just going to quote Jake, who is the visual effects supervisor. I guess is his title. Uh, He came to a screening after we finished our mix and he looked at us and said, um, we took the film, we took it out of the tub, you put it in the ocean. Oh, wow. That's how he said. That's that's amazing. That's a great compliment. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was really super. As I said, we had this advantage of many tent mixes because it did evolve because we didn't, you didn't really know how things would play. There were all these different ideas. And because there's so many montages and flashbacks, oh, I was saying, you know, that it's in Diana's head. How do you play that? And what is it that's driving? What are you hearing? How are you hearing it? All of these, this archival material, which was both used as archival, a lot of it, but there was also archival of her actual swim that's integrated into the actual cut that isn't, you know, noted as archival but it's actually diana swimming so there's kudos like to the extreme to chris tellefson as our editor who i think was a difficult film on a lot of levels but as as far as sound and the mix we had a lot of fun i'm not saying it was hard it wasn't hard of course but i think that it was wouldn't you say like it was kind of a made the challenge was I mean, a lot fell on Grant's shoulders, so he can handle it. (laughs) (laughs) We had a great team, and Chris was heavily involved from the beginning. Uh, It was a marathon, much like Diana's swim, and he was there through all the temps with us and really guided us and pushed us, just like Chai and everybody, really. We pushed the limits of this one through all the temps. Yeah, I didn't really see the scope of this film getting to where it got to as far as the soundtrack i mean there's so much sound in there and it just you know with the visual effects evolving and chris's cuts evolving you know we just kept working at it and as we got time to work there's so much detail in every little splash of water again i didn't think it was going to get to that point but you know i was happy to have the time to deliver what chris and chai and everybody was looking for because they really really wanted the details in there and they really wanted to push the limits of just the dynamics of the soundtrack. And so thankfully we had the time to do that. And we just all kind of put our heads together and, and worked worked really hard. And, and the mix was a lot of fun and a lot of work, a lot of late nights. But we, we had a blast and, and everybody really, really worked hard to get this one to where it is. You know, technically it was pushed in lots of ways, you know, and I think it was an amazing job. But so much of the work getting there was conceptual. Like, how is it going to play? What do we want to listen? How do we, as I said, how are we going to listen to it? And so, and there was a constant conversation. That's what helped evolve everything. So, for example, because you're trying to figure out what are we listening? We've got so many layers. We have the archival in her head. We have her counting. You know, these are things that were documented in her book. You know, this is, we're also following what she experienced and how she experienced it. We have the reality of what we're seeing. You know, we have all this stuff. And Chris, at one point, I remember saying, you know, 
all of these voices in her head from her past experience, they get in the way, in a way, of her swimming, you know, and so it's, it comes with the difficulty of the swim. Whereas her counting and her singing, that's the other, <laughs> the other thing of singing the songs are the thread that keeps her going, that she keeps trying to get back to because that keeps her directed. And that's a conceptual idea. And like, how do you make that uh, work in terms of the sound? A lot of it happened in the mix. I mean, of course, the elements had to be there, but uh, there was a lot of working it out and seeing what felt. And, you know, we thought we'd had it. You know, you go to a screening and it's like, nope, it's not there yet. You know, it's good, but it's not there yet. So did you come up with, like, rules on how to do that? How did you get inside your head I like think that? the main, one main rule was the distinction between uh, underwater, above water. That's like a major delineation. Um, but I think each of the swims had its own personality, let's say. The first attempt, we're not talking about the trial ones, but the actual Cuba swims, she's fighting. It wasn't only the allergy, but it's against currents. How do you feel the currents? That took a long time to get to, right? And, and of course, the visual effects with that helped a lot, but, you, but sonically, you have to support it and be there in it. And I, I don't know how it all came. <laughs> in a way, like there's a, it's the mystery of some sometimes of a mix. How do you hear the current, Grant? The one that we really struggled to convey the the currents. That's the first. That was the allergy, and and it was also the current. Yeah, um, and at, you know, for a long time we didn't have any visual effects for that, and so we're battling, like trying to sell this this theme of her, you know, battling battling against the currents, and and that was really tough. Like getting the open water above water sounds correct was really. A, almost a bigger challenge than the underwater effects, right? Because there's just not a lot of source out there that's just going to hit exactly the way you want it to. So it was a lot of trial and error there. That took a very long time and just just kept working it and working it and working it. And then uh, once the visual effects started coming in and then that was helpful. And then the mix is really when we when we got it to dial in, you know, all the elements together and then just kind of pass after pass after pass, you know, we took it to a, an extreme level and we're like, okay, that's, that's maybe a little too much. <laughs> I don't know if she's going to come out of this one alive, which may, you know, maybe is what the audience is meant to feel, but we had to pull that back a little bit just to find the sweet spot of, you know, the storytelling, you know, sonically of, of the currents. And, yeah, I mean, we put so much detail into, like I said, every splash on camera and also using Dolby Atmos, just fully immersive all around you. I mean, there's like really like peaky transient stuff, you know, all over the room without being hopefully too distracting in the rears and, you know, you know, sort of behind us and things like that. We want to keep it on the screen as much as possible, obviously, but it's one of the most immersive, dynamic, intense mixes I've ever been a part of. So that really helped, all that stuff. Where was it mixed? Who mixed it? Laura Hirschberg and myself. Uh, we mixed at Warner Brothers um, Studio A, right? Yeah. yeah. Here in New York. Here in New York, yeah. yeah. Yep, yep. Shout out to Laura, who uh, yes. couldn't be here with us. You know, she... Unfortunately, she's, she really was perfect for this... Yeah. This particular film. She really took the reins of the dialogue and music side of things and came in with some incredible ideas. And, you know, Deb talking about the voices inside of um, Diana's head or singing or counting, that was like such a huge hurdle 
to try to nail for for everybody really you know chris you know had cut it a million different ways uh trying to just figure it out how we were going to make it work and laura came in with her expertise and took it to another level and you know she's so like experienced and incredible at what she does that um i think we all felt confident with with her leadership and trying to, to get that all, all sorted out and uh it took a while again just like everything in this film a lot of trial and error and taking it to to the max and then pulling it back and you know trying different ideas and eventually uh she she nailed it all and it all came together really nicely but that was a huge hurdle trying to get all that stuff in and and it was all we all looked at it as trial and error there was no ego you know in terms of of this is how it should be this is one way it could play well, let's try another way. Maybe it's somewhere in between. Oh, we lost too much, you know, by being, you know, too verby about something. Let's be bring it back a little bit. What do we want to hear in this moment? And also the, just the timing with the music of when to come in with her voice, the levels of things like we've done. I was just talking thinking about the music, which we got late in the game. Yeah. And there was one score at one point, and this came in. Well, not a score, but the temp score. Uh, this came in, it was so completely different from what everyone had been working with. Beautiful, but it took also a lot of work to get it in and work with all the elements that they had. So on the mix stage, we have Laura handling the music and dialogue. Grant, you're handling the sound effects. What What is your role in that, Deborah? I feel like I was able to bring what I think a mix should be, a mix room should be, from my experience, because I feel like it isn't like that anymore. Um, and I, I don't know how to get into the detail of that, but... So what is happening in mixed stages more today that you feel is different? I think fewer people are there. Like, how, do, how does a dialogue editor know what to present to a mix if they're not on a mix, for example? Often there's only a budget. You, you know, we get a dialogue editor, we let them cut, they can conform and then go away. That's a tragedy. To me, a mix is all about collaboration, completely. Everyone has a role in that. And I don't, I don't mean everyone's voice has to be heard. Like some people, it's like, no, this is not the place for you to be talking. If you have something to say, you go to the supervisor on the side. You don't, you know, there is a protocol for sure, but it is a collaboration. Like I chose. At some point, I was not going to go towards mixing. Everyone now is the one-man show. So that's no collaboration. And I think it's limited because of that. You know, you lose an experiential aspect of it, that things happen, that, oh, that's that was a mistake, but it sounds really cool. Let's go in that direction. And it becomes this two-person, you know, the mixer and whoever else is, you know, often it's a pro producer, not a director. You know, it depends on, you know, they have other interests. You know, too much bottom line interest is, doesn't help you creatively if you're in the mix room. So when you bring people, you know, who are not interested, they like it to sound good. I mean, not that, but don't understand this other little collaboration that is, takes it to a different level. And this film allowed for it. You know, it's on some levels... A simple film, you know, it's it's a good feel-good film. There's great acting in it. It's a story you just feel good walking out of. But it's also quite a big film on some, you know, on, on certainly in the in that other range 
Um, and it was a great opportunity for us. I think. And I'll, I'll say you you created that atmosphere by you know instilling these beliefs and how the the stage should be and who should be there. And it was a beautiful collaborative atmosphere in there from day one till the end. It was really just like free flowing with ideas and no one had ego above anybody else in there. Like our editors were in there, you know, and everybody was listening to the feedback and, you know, they'd be, they'd be working on stuff without us even asking, coming over and pitching us ideas. And and we were together as a team and it really took that and it stayed that way throughout the whole mix. And I think everybody from the top down was like very thankful for that atmosphere and thanks to Deb for for pushing them. I've been on films where I mean you could speak to this better I may be wrong but if you're sound designing or cutting and mixing once you go over to the mix you don't always get to have a an, uh, an effects editor to back you up for example you know just make sure that oh well of course if there's an empty space there I'm going to make sure that there's someone there. Yeah we were able to bring on um another effects editor to kind of step into my design role, um, David Forshee, um, who did an incredible job. You know, we'd worked together previously on a film, but I think our just general workflow and aesthetic is similar. So he, he slid right in there. And, you know, once you get familiar with the film and, and kind of given him sort of a palette to work in and and then he brought his own style and kind of flavor to it. Having that support and trusting somebody, that's the big thing, right? Like, you want somebody there that you can trust. Um, you know, you don't always have to give them direction on what you need. They're just going to say, hey, this is in your in your Dropbox on that folder. This, I think it's going to work for this. You know, Chai asked for this like two hours ago. I'm like, whoa, great, awesome, man. Thank you. Like, you And the know. same happened. I, a shout out to John Morris who did the dialogue editing because he also they're people that love their work so he's always looking for things or even while we're not on that scene he'll be pursuing stuff and finding little jewels of that that help a scene yeah and i think again like that's without them being in the room and also just having like this level of comfort from of support from everybody it sort of just gives them that energy and that and that you know belief that they can just go do it and trust themselves and and if they bring us something we're not gonna say hey this isn't the time like might not be the right time but like let's talk about it in a bit and thank you thank you very much for that like whatever you got let's talk about it we'll take it you know and and get it in there let's dig into a particular kind of sound moment from the film one of the plot mechanisms of the film is that she's going to be the first person to swim this distance without any kind of shark cage so they have to develop a way to keep her safe from sharks. What is decided upon is this thing that drags in the water and emits a sound that sharks don't like. But I'm assuming that it's a sound that we can't even hear in reality. But there's a plot point in the film where we have to hear it. So how did you make that work? That was a challenge. That was Yeah, that was trial and error. I mean, we went through temps of different sounds. I must have designed and cut, I don't know, maybe like 40, 50 sounds we tried in there. And it ended up being a combination of stuff that I carried over from past temps. But, you know, essentially when thinking about it, I was actually with Jimmy and Chai. We were we had like a preview day where I wanted them to come in and, and we previewed a bunch of the sound design for them. Just, you know, you do that periodically just to make sure you're on the right track so you don't get too far, right? And so I don't even think I had it that dialed in at that point there. You know, I had something in there and they were like, that's really good. That's really good. But, you know, like, let's let's keep working on it. And 
And we had some discussions about it. And, you know, with their feedback, I sort of had this light bulb of like, oh, you know, like sharks don't like dolphins and and dolphins make like, you know, sounds um, and, and sort of that sonar sound. Right. And so I sort of took a bunch of like dolphin source and sort of just manipulated that with some synth, you know, electronic-y, sparky stuff, fused that together. But I think what was really cool because, you know, you have to choose sounds that I think just subliminally to the listener reflect, oh, underwater themes, right? And so I thought what better way to do that than an animal that sort of you know, can defend against a shark. So I used some of those dolphin sources and just sort of manipulated that and, you know, like delayed it and, you know, threw some processing on top of it and then layered that with other things to create this sort of like stinger. The other challenge was the timing of everything, right? Because everything's so fluid in the water, like we didn't have the score, right? I was like, I didn't know what the score was going to do. So like, when does the when does the sound happen? When does it go off to detract it? Like the visual effects of the shark weren't finished. So just the whole sort of arc of that moment was just, it was not finished until very close to the end of the mix. And we we, we did uh, tons of different versions on it. Uh, but once everything came together and we had, you know, Alexandre's score in there and and then the final visual effects and Chris's editing tweaks, it finally came together. Is it on or is it off? Yeah. Tell us. I think it's back on. He thinks it's back on. All clear. Yeah, that was quite a challenge. And I wanted it to sound a lot like it was emitting through the ocean, right? Like you hear the delays and the echoes of it through the ocean too, like a little bit of sustain of that um, after it has, has that initial impact. And I remember once I finally got something I was happy with, I played it, I was nervously like playing it for Chai and Jimmy and everybody and it passed and you're like sitting in that silence and, the, and Jimmy goes, Wow. That's like the first time I felt like really anxious. That was cool. I was like, all right, cool. We're getting somewhere here. That's great. That's good feedback. Well, it worked really well because it's, as you're watching the film, you're aware because you haven't been hearing it the entire film that it doesn't make a sound, but you just buy right into what you did. It worked really well. Oh, that's so good to hear. It's like that underwater sonar thing, right? But it's a little different because it's made out of like a dolphin, you know, sonar and, and some other stuff. But, you know, you go, you, you pick that thing like, okay, what's the audience going to feel that's going to make sense and, and tell the story without being too cheesy or overdone, so. A plot point in the film is that uh, she has to train and train and train because at a certain point in these, like, 55 hours of swimming, your mind starts going on you and your body has to just be trained to continue going whether your brain's in it or not. And there are really amazing sequences where her brain goes and she starts hallucinating these just completely surreal things and they're really fun, and but they are a very different tone than the entire rest of the film. And I'm wondering how you tackle that to make it still feel like it's part of the film, but it has to be completely fantastical at the same time. Well, these were scenes that, that were the first things that we approached before having any visual effects, really, or very yeah. minor things like the Taj Mahal and the jellyfish. Those are the two. We kind of just had to go for it. Like, again, Chris and everybody wanted 
everything pushed to the to the max, you know. And and yeah, you have to stay sort of in the sonic palette a little bit, but with something that kind of fantastical and wild, you you want to just have fun with it, right? So you just start painting certain, you know, certain scenes and 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 maybe you take it too far, but those were a lot of original sounds that were just created through play and sampling and and manipulating things and and coming up with new sounds, cool sounds and taking some source and just thinking, okay, this is like a cool underwater source. What can I, how can I manipulate this to create like a hallucinatory jellyfish passing by us, right? Like, <laughs> so it's it's a combination of like synthesized sounds with natural sounds, right? Like for instance, for the, jelly, uh, for the jellyfish hallucination where they come out of the sky and then swim around her and all of that, which, you know, I had laid down a good foundation of sounds just by original sound design and new creations that um once we got the final visual effects david did a great job of embellishing all of that and i think he too you know got into his radium sampler we both used a ton on this film and just kind of like worked and manipulated and and smashed and verbed and reversed all kinds of fun stuff to try to get these sounds you know to play um it's a combination of weirdness because everybody wanted it to feel really weird and bizarre right like just push it and then also but you're underwater right so you need to feel these like textures of things swimming past you so so the combination of all these you know artificial flavors if you will and then i i took like sustained bubble tracks and then used like doppler plugins to give it like movement so it would pass by us just so you could feel those kind of like underwater whooshes and 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 the weight of these imaginary jellyfish all around her. <laughs> and also, I think, uh, getting to the moment, back to reality, was, was always a hard transition. Tricky, yeah, that for was sure. A, always very tricky. You know, when did, when does she get hit by the jellyfish? Well, that whole timing thing, yeah. you know, where those effects fall, yeah. and how it feels, and how... Th- yeah. th- that, that we worked on till the end, too. But- timings and the rhythms of this film took shape over a long time. I think they got to an incredible place, but they were quite challenging. Every emergence from the water when she comes up is was a, something, you know, especially when they were going into flashbacks. You know, how hard is the cut? Are we, where are we? What are we listening to? Are we experiencing her? You know, like some effects of like the tone, right? When, mm-hmm. when she's sort of out of it. And then that, well, that was a that came up in the last days of the mix, really. Yeah, because yeah, apparently, you know, this is, again, one of her insights is when you're diving that deep, you get sort of this, like, tinnitus-y ring in your head. And that, along with the coral reef crackle, gave some of those hallucinatory, like, montages just, like, an interesting flare every couple cuts. And so, you know, we pick pick and chose moments to highlight that stuff and depending on where the like the the camera angles were every shot i can say was different sonically you know there was sort of like a um guidelines i had set for myself of how i wanted to hear certain shots how deep we were you know the closer we were to the surface it got a little like more mid-rangey high-rangey 
And then, you know, depending on her struggle, where she was at, how she was swimming, the strength of her strokes, was she hallucinating? All of the strokes are different. Uh, was she hearing the yeah. dialogue, the people talking to her, or was she was, or was that just like not? She wasn't there yet. She was in some other place. And then, you know, all of the dots designed through all of this. But then, you, you know, when Grant says each shot was a different thing, and then you have to conform it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was quite a lot. <laughs> Let's talk about the idea of creating an underwater soundscape. Underwater, overwater was such a big deal for Chris and Chai both. To create the landscape underwater versus overwater was a huge challenge. But one of the biggest challenges as well was the submersion and immersion sounds. Um, Chris wanted to hit that so hard constantly throughout the film. Uh, so, you know, anytime we're, we're, we're diving into Diana's world, which is underwater where she lives, you know, where, where her head lives... Uh, we had to embellish that to the max. Uh, you know, there's things on those cuts that I would have never thought I was going to put in an ocean soundtrack because <laughs> it needed to be transient and feel like you're getting, you know, really dunked under there and, and punched. Like, as you said, we all know what it sounds like, right? You get that kind of like transient sort of sound when you go under. Is You know, you have in your head sort of the classic underwater sounds and the... None of it, to me, in the end, sounds like what I've heard before. I really feel like, you know, between Laura and Grant and just everybody collaborating and, and how things were done, you know, like where... I'll give you one example. With the thunder and the storm, it wasn't playing in some way like Chris wanted this. To, and I said, well, you know, we won't hear the lightning underwater. So that all of a sudden, that's a technical thing that all of a sudden delineated, mm -hmm. helped delineate this. Instead of hearing the thunder and muffling it, no, it's actually very different once you go down. That storm scene was really impressive. <laughs> it, yeah. it, it was but huge. I'm, I'm just saying there's very little yeah. cliched sound in there. Well, I, when I listen to it, I think like, oh my God, that really, I'm there. One of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you is because I felt that when I watched that, every time in every film and TV show that's ever happened, when the camera goes from underwater to above water, it's almost always been the same type of bubbly immersion sound. You guys did totally different sounds that were of that world, but felt really new and fresh. The Foley's on this were amazing, and they had a tub. They did a lot of underwater to exactly for that reason, helping us with the, with the strokes. And each swim had a different sound to the strokes you know how easy it was was it a pool was it the foley's were amazing and really helped who was the I foley mean, team alchemy uh, alchemy, alchemy. Awesome. yeah shout out yeah. to those guys they were just fabulous yeah. yeah every stroke i think i had at least five layers to mix in between because i wanted every stroke to sound different and i wanted it to convey her struggle or her, you know, strength throughout the temps. I had a bunch of good stuff cut in there. And I was like talking to Alchemy and I said, there's some good stuff in here, but I think we need to go further. I want you guys to just, sorry about it, but give me every stroke, give me a new sound for it so that I can pick and choose all these different flavors and make everything unique and not sound the same. And they did such a great job. We had a long creative chat about kind of the the timbre of the sound that I wanted and also the position of when I wanted to hear 
her stroke. Like I had this sort of all sorted out in my head. So I uh, conveyed that to them and they were so open and collaborative and they just crushed it. I was, I was blown away. I was over the moon happy with what they gave me and it just helped so much create like a diversity of, of her swimming and strokes. It's the amount of sound and I think and the layers that make it something else. Well, thank you very much for coming down and talking to me today. This was really fun. As I said, I had a fun time watching the film, and you're right. It, there's a lot of unique water sounds in it, and that's what uh, really piqued my, my ears when I was watching it. So thanks for talking to us about it today. Thank you. Thanks. I want to send out a big thanks to Deborah and Grant for joining us for this in-person interview in New York City. It was really great to hang out with them for a bit. Also, I need to send out a huge thanks to Sound Lounge, who let us use their podcast studio for this talk. In addition to having a great ADR studio, they're mixing amazing shows like The Bear and Sesame Street. It was really great to spend time at such a top-notch facility. If you need any type of sound work done in New York City, make sure to look them up at soundlounge.com. We have so many episodes lined up for the next little while, the episodes will be hitting your podcast player more often than usual. So please keep your ears open for some really fun talks coming soon. My name is Tim Muirhead. Thanks for listening to Tone Mender's Sound Design Podcast. Talk to you soon. Bye. Tone Benders is produced by Timothy Muirhead, Renee Coronado, and Teresa Morrow. Theme music is by Mark Strait. Send your emails to info at tonebenderspodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter via at the Tonebenders and join Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook. Support this podcast. You can use our links when you shop with Amazon or B&H or leave us a tip. Just go to tonebenderspodcast.com and click the support button. Thanks for listening. Are you looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? Tonebenders is part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org. 